Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, whose mission is to make professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere, and they offered us Life After Miscarriage Gals, guys, and our couples 10% off their first month when using the link betterhelp.com L-A-M. Now let's get into today's episode. <laughs> Hello, everyone. We have Samantha Kingsley on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her and her story. Samantha, I am just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like. All right. Thank you. Um, So I have two kids right now, and I've had two miscarriages. Um, And my story is, you know, I think a lot of people probably have the same story, but it is a little bit unique in that I think that my first miscarriage could have been prevented and that my second child was born with a life-threatening pregnancy and ended with um, a hysterectomy that wasn't really wanted, you know, so my trajectory was really changed by my miscarriages. I think that all miscarriages definitely change lives um, and change them in different ways. So that was how mine changed. Um, so yeah, I'll get right to it. I had my first baby in 2015 and I didn't have any problems getting pregnant. Um, and so of course I thought, oh, I got pregnant once before. The second time should be easy too, you know, and now I know how untrue that is and how untrue that is for so many people trying to get pregnant. Um, The second time getting pregnant didn't take that long, but it took a little bit longer. You know, we were trying for about five months. Um, So in my book, I think that that's still still pretty easy. Um, We were really happy when we got the positive test and things kind of started out rocky. My first pregnancy was really smooth and I didn't have lots of those classic pregnancy symptoms of just the nausea and kind of feeling terrible. And this time around, I really was feeling pretty terrible. Um, So I was kind of in contact with my doctor and let her know what was going on, but hadn't had my first appointments with my midwife. And, um, you know, I just thought it was a different pregnancy. I didn't think anything of it really. It made me think that I was lucky the first go around. Um, And now I know that that was something different that was going on. But in the meantime, we were feeling pretty confident about it. And we started telling people about it earlier. Uh, I think I was maybe eight or nine weeks along. And we told my parents and just a couple people, not very many, but we didn't want to, you know, start out alone. We wanted people to know and we made a big trip to the coast. We live uh, here in Oregon and took this big trip to the coast to tell my two and a half year old daughter that she was gonna be a big sister. And she was excited and and it was great. We were all really excited. And then I went in for a checkup with my doctor and we tested my thyroid. We had recently made a big change to my thyroid medication. I had been on a dose of levothyroxine for years, but I didn't have Hashimoto's, so it wasn't the autoimmune disease. And she was trying to support my system in other ways and get me off of the levothyroxine. 
she thought that there was probably another cause of it. So we were trying it. And when we tested my TSH, it came back at 84.9. So if anybody knows anything about TSH and where you would normally be, 84.89 is astronomical. So your normal range is 0.5 to 5. And during pregnancy, they want you below 2.5. So I was just floored at the results. And it took a couple days for it to sink in that that might be more significant than just supporting my thyroid. And so, of course, you know, I'm in shock for a day. We go back to the medication. And I start digging in and doing more research and find out that that's really severe hypothyroidism, which wasn't a surprise. Uh, but what a big deal it is in the first trimester of pregnancy was a huge surprise. Um, so babies born to moms that have severe hypothyroidism are more likely to have um, lower IQs, more likely to have autism, um, impaired brain and psychomotor development. So I started to panic. Um, I just couldn't believe what had happened, and I started to really worry. And there was higher incidence of miscarriage as well. Um, so I started to really worry about miscarriage, and then I started to really worry about having a disabled baby um, and not and not feeling like there was anything I could do about it. You know, we were getting my thyroid back on track, but like the damage I, I had kind of felt like had already been done and I wasn't sure. So I talked to my doctor and had her refer me to an endocrinologist to follow up. And I'm really glad that I did because they got things on track much faster, um, getting things back to normal numbers. Um, and in the meantime, before I had met with the endocrinologist and after I'd gotten the results, we took this trip to visit friends on the other side of the country and we had let them know that I was pregnant and, you know, it was kind of this big deal. But, you know, also by the end of the trip, I had started bleeding and it was just like small amounts. And at this point, I was maybe 10 or 11 weeks um, pregnant and call the midwives and of course hear the you know some bleeding is normal it might be nothing I wouldn't worry about it and I had an appointment scheduled in a couple weeks so I just kind of took that with a grain of salt and tried not to worry and and just went about the trip came home saw the endocrinologist started feeling better about where my thyroid was um, I think some of those symptoms that I was experiencing in the beginning of just feeling kind of nauseous and terrible started to go away with my thyroid. And I was realizing that all those symptoms that I was feeling had nothing to do with my pregnancy. Um, like, I can't say that, who knows, right? But I think that they had nothing to do with my pregnancy and mostly had to do with my thyroid being so off. Um, and I had the worst constipation I've ever had in my life. Um, and traveling during it was, I was just in so much pain because of it. Um, and it was a lot easier to write it off as a, a pregnancy thing and not, and not freak out about it and just sort of accept it as par for the course. 
and that changes, you know, when it's, when it's really not part of the pregnancy, it feels, feels really different. So I was really scared. Um, I was really scared when I started bleeding. Um, I had my midwife appointment, everything seemed like it was going okay. The bleeding kind of tapered off. It didn't really continue. They gave me an order for a first trimester ultrasound and let me know that I could do it if I wanted to. Um, it's like a very optional one. And the midwives that I see are very supportive. So I get to, to make those choices and they give me the pros and cons. And so we took the order, but decided to, to wait. I was worried that the that by going and doing the ultrasound, that I might be setting myself on a course for just an over paranoid pregnancy where I was worried about every little thing. Um, so I, I decided to wait. And then just two days later, I was at the park with my two and a half year old and my husband when I felt a big gush and it was terrifying. Um, and it was, it was at the worst place, kind of at the worst time. Our parks here don't have actual bathrooms. They only have porta-potties. So, um, so I had to go to the porta-potty and see what was happening. And it was definitely that gush of bright red blood that nobody wants to see in a quantity that nobody wants to see when they're pregnant. Uh, so I stepped out and I immediately called midwives and they said, you know, go home, take it easy. You don't know what's going on until you have an ultrasound. And, you know, they, they didn't want me to give up hope on the pregnancy, but said that it was, you know, certainly a possibility that I was miscarrying. So I went home, my husband stayed with my daughter. They kind of went off for adventures for the day to just kind of give me a space to rest and, um, and to Google more than I've ever <laughs> Googled before, probably. And, you know, seeing all the possibilities that it could have been if it hadn't been a miscarriage, it could have been placenta previa or bleeding for some other reason. And we decided, of course, to do the ultrasound the next morning or on Monday morning and called. And they had an appointment at 6.30 in the morning. It's like, okay, this is perfect. It's like, don't have to disturb my husband from work. He can just stay home with my daughter and I can go. Um, so I went alone to my ultrasound to just get it taken care of. And um, they noticed right away that the fetus wasn't measuring the right size and wasn't, wasn't shaped properly. The ultrasound tech was, was amazing. He was, was very kind and very supportive. And he was the same tech who did an ultrasound with my, um, with my daughter when I was pregnant three years before that. Um, and that. And that was sort of comforting because I already knew him to some extent. Um, but it was but it was awful. So they did the transvaginal ultrasound as well to confirm and just get more information. They didn't want me to leave the the office until I had talked to my midwives on the phone. Um, and so I had to stay for a few minutes and talk to them and, and talk to my husband. And of course, I was just 
crying hysterically most of the time. Um, you know, and I think the scariest part about it for me was at that moment anyway, was having to go home and tell my daughter that she wasn't going to be a big sister anymore. And I didn't know how to do that, you know, and, and talking to the midwives on the phone, they definitely consoled me and said that, you know, kids understand, like kids understand better than, than we do. And, uh, and yeah, and that was really true. And before I left the ultrasound tech, Brian was, um, was talking with me and I'm sitting there crying and telling him the the parable about the man with a horse. I don't know if you've heard this one or not, but but I come back to it often in life and and it's you know I think a man get comes into a horse and everybody in the village says, Oh what good luck and he says, Oh good luck, bad luck, I don't know. And then his son is riding the horse and falls off and breaks a leg. And everybody in the village says, oh, what bad luck. And so oh, good luck, bad luck, I don't know. And then they're coming around, um, collecting young men to go to the army. And his son is injured, so he can't go. And everybody says, good luck. Well, you know, it's such good luck. And it goes back and forth. And so I really tried to embrace in that moment. You know, I don't know if having the miscarriage was good luck or bad luck. You know, it was neither. It was just what was happening to me. Um, and so I went home and, you know, you can't, you can't hide your grief in a moment like that. So we had to tell my daughter right away. And you're reminded really quickly how literal children are. You know, we, when I said... We lost the baby. You know, she thought we lost the baby. Like we could not find the baby anymore. <laughs> it's like, okay, oh no, we didn't lose the baby. No, we're not going to find the baby. The baby died, you know, and, and it makes it get really real really quickly when you have to put it in those terms. And and there were, it had to be said many times over the course of the next several months. And she understood and she, you know, she had some sadness, but she was able to cope with it really well. And she is resilient, of course, you know, as, as kids are. And to this day, she'll still say, you know, ask about the baby in my belly that died. Um, yeah, and so later that weekend, um, we had a plan to go to a, a farm-to-table dinner, and we were so excited, and it was going to be my daughter's first night away from us, and spending the night at grandparents, and so we, we still went, you know, and just had this really awkward night trying to socialize really shallow, shallowly, right, so we didn't get into talking about the miscarriage and so we ended up spending that time together sort of more in mourning um, than the connection that we were hoping to have my husband and I um, and, it, and it was good to have that space to mourn together so the miscarriage didn't happen um, completely there was still um, a bit inside so 
I decided that I wanted to try and miscarry naturally, that I didn't want to take the, um, the pill, which name I forgot, and I didn't want to have a DNC. I, with my daughter, had a, a really long, painful back labor. Um, I was trying for a home birth and ended up getting transferred to the hospital and needing a C-section. And, I, and with this miscarriage, I really just needed my body to show me that it could do what it was built to do. And, and yeah, and having a, having a miscarriage naturally, I felt in some ways not be redeeming, but just I guess sort of needed it to have faith in my body, to have faith in, in its ability to, to do these things. Um, after that one big gush of blood and nothing, nothing else happened. I, I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited and I did everything to try and get things moving. I did acupuncture and I would have cramping for a day or so and it would seem like, okay, yeah, this is going to work. This is going to get things moving, but it didn't. The cramping just stopped after a couple of days. I worked with the midwives and did all sorts of other support, um, you know, herbal teas, high-dose vitamin C, tried different massage techniques, and I don't even remember all of the different things that we tried, um, but it was two months of trying to miscarry naturally, and it never happened, and it felt like a really long time, and I spent that time. It was in the summer, and... I, you know, wanted to go camping and spend time with my family and have fun. And I was terrified of having a miscarriage in the middle of nowhere. And so we didn't do anything. You know, we stayed home a lot. We camped once at a campground. And, um, and that was it, you know, because I would just have these horror visions um, about having a miscarriage yeah, out in the woods and reading other people's miscarriage stories and listening to them, having them be painful and long um, and messy and, you know, and I didn't want that. So that's one thing um, that I really wished I could have done was figure out a way to just go on living my life in that time because I couldn't. It was just, it was on hold in the most awful way. So after a couple months um, of waiting, there was a day I started feeling some really, really terrible pain. And I didn't know if it was the miscarriage happening, but it sure seemed like maybe that's what it was. Um, I didn't want my daughter to see me in that much pain. So sent her and my husband off for an adventure and, um, you know, not far, but certainly close and reachable. And the pain was just getting worse and worse. I was on the phone with my midwives and it, it things were just kind of seeming strange. Um, I mean, I was just absolutely doubled over in pain, could hardly talk through parts of it, but I never started bleeding. And so we started to get concerned about infection happening and we went to the ER. 
um, after my daughter's bedtime, we had somebody come over and, and my husband and I both went together and it didn't end up being anything related to the miscarriage. Um, I had a, just most a bizarre experience, I think, with the, the nurses at the ER and admitting and everything where I would kind of give them the story and say, this is maybe what's happening. And I've been talking to my, my midwives and they would ask, you know, well, how do you know you had a miscarriage? Are you sure you're having miscarriage or you did? And it was infuriating, you know, it's like, of course, like, I'm not just guessing at this. And this is a traumatic experience for me. And having somebody second guess your traumatic experience is really frustrating. And just, that was a really hard part. So it, it didn't end up being a uterine infection. It, it just ended up being some ovarian cysts. And they were fairly large. There were a couple of them. And one of them might have been in torsion. So cutting off that blood supply, I think, to my ovary. And I had never had cysts before. Um, and so it was just kind of a strange thing. And, you know, they said, oh, we'll just take time to get better. Unfortunately, the pain did subside and I went home and had a follow-up appointment with the OB the next week. And, you know, after that, I just, I was so over it. I was so over everything. I think two months of waiting, the pain with those cysts was so strong um, that it really just brought me back to my labor with my daughter. And I was I became scared really of having the miscarriage go through naturally and have a lot of pain um, and, and just bringing up that trauma of my first birth and then making it even harder if I were to have another pregnancy down the line of just being in so much pain um, that I wouldn't, my body wouldn't be able to do what I wanted it to do. So the cysts were subsiding when I went and she, you know, did an ultrasound to check things out. And we talked about the miscarriage. And at that point, I decided that I was just going to have the DNC and I was, I was going to be done. I couldn't take any longer. Um, and then she gave me options, which in some ways was just the worst, the worst thing. I didn't want any more options. I'd already decided and it was so hard to decide but she said I could still try the pill to miscarry um, at home. She said they could do the DNC in the office or I could do the DNC in the hospital. And so I thought about it for a few more hours um, and decided that, that I was done with pain, that I just didn't want to do it. And she got me into the hospital the next day for the DNC. And that was the second time that my husband and I had a night away from our daughter and she spent the night with her other grandparents and you know it was just another night together of mourning and just part of that experience and and it's taken a while to, to even really tell the story of this miscarriage you know I, I wish I had known something more about the thyroid to know that making those big changes is not okay when you're trying to get pregnant or when you're pregnant. Um, I still, I haven't talked to that doctor since this has happened. And I think about it frequently. 
because I don't want any other women to go through this situation. Um, but it's been really hard for me to confront her about it, you know, because I think it was an irresponsible move to change my thyroid medication at such a vulnerable time for me. Um, so that's been a really big part of it. So we, you know, I heal, I get better. We um, decide we're going to keep trying and I get pregnant again, uh, maybe six months later. And I don't know, I probably took four pregnancy tests that were positive. It, it was a kind of a lot, you know, and and they were faint. They weren't like that super bright red line where you know, go, like, oh, yeah, okay, this is a definite positive, you know? It's like, okay, but any line is a positive, but it just becomes really hard to believe it. And you also just don't want to attach yourself to anything. So with that positive test, we had zero excitement. We had, um, we just weren't sure, you know, if, if it was anything or not. And so I, you know, waited a long weekend, took another pregnancy test. It still was. And it's like, okay, well, I guess maybe I am pregnant. And I was feeling some of the same sort of digestive and constipation troubles that I had with the, the other pregnancy. And so I thought, you know, maybe that is a sign too that, that I really am pregnant. But then a week later, I started bleeding again. And had a very simple, I guess, simple, quick miscarriage, if you want to classify it. And I didn't have to do any procedures. They just tested my HCG to see kind of where those numbers were. It was so, um, so early in the pregnancy that it wasn't, it wasn't necessary to do anything else. And, you know, I think at that point we kind of shut down a little bit because it was just, it felt so sad, you know, and when you look at the statistics, like one miscarriage is, is pretty common, you know, and doesn't mean you're going to have any other miscarriages. But I remember seeing that after you've had two miscarriages, your chances of having more start to rise and it just felt like it had become a thing and, and that felt really terrible and I just didn't know where things were going to go from then and I think at that point I, I really started thinking of the things of when you get pregnant or somebody's pregnant it doesn't mean that you're that they're going to have a baby necessarily and really changed how I interact with pregnant people um, how it was in my final pregnancy because everybody assumes, you know, oh, you're pregnant, you're going to have a baby and everything's going to be great. Um, in the time after that second miscarriage, I had a dentist appointment and I was in that period where I hadn't started my period yet, but I wasn't quite ready to take a pregnancy test and, but I wasn't ready to go in and, and take x-rays either. Right. So I put on their questionnaire, like maybe pregnant and every single person in the office like oh that's so exciting that's great you know and and it just went right to the core you know and and it forces you to tell parts of your story when maybe not ready or you don't want to 
So you know how to say, look, you know, I've had two miscarriages and I would like to have another baby. I'm not excited. I don't want to talk about this here. I'm here for a teeth cleaning. I'm not here to, to talk about my traumas. Um, and so that, w- that was hard, you know, and I try and be really respectful of pregnant women now, knowing that they may or may not want to be pregnant, that they may be just absolutely filled with fear over what's going on and, and really let them kind of guide any conversation that has to do with pregnancy. So we recovered for that one for a while too. You know, we probably spent the next six months and some morning and just, just kind of going on with life and then decided that we did want to try again. And this time I got pregnant and we were very cautious. We were hopeful that this pregnancy would end in a baby, but didn't know what would happen. I had some bleeding at maybe six or seven weeks and uh, that that was definitely terrifying. And so I did take that early ultrasound to make sure that things were okay because I didn't want to just have hopes up again or just wanted to, I just needed so much more reassurance with this one and everything was okay. And then another six weeks passes and I'm at that 12, 13 week mark and I have a huge like blood clot come out. And at the time I didn't know that it was a blood clot. I just knew that it was big and that it wasn't normal. Um, I talked to my midwives. They thought, you know, there is a chance that you're miscarrying. And this was in the time of COVID. And so I went to get my ultrasound. It was in the first week of, you know, when people, when different states started locking down and they forgot to tell me on the phone that I couldn't bring anybody with me. So I had to go in by myself to this ultrasound. And, you know, I was 100% sure they were going to tell me that I had lost the baby and that I had miscarried. And they didn't tell me that. And it was a shock. Um, But they did tell me, well, no, they didn't tell me at that time. But talking to the midwives later, they did tell me that there was placenta previa. So my placenta was completely covering my cervix. And um, and that if it didn't move, that I would need to have another C-section scheduled. Um, and that was really heartbreaking for me, but then it rolled out and things got uh, a lot crazier than that. You know, I, that would have been mild, I think, compared to what happened. Um, in addition to the previa, I also had placenta accreta spectrum, and that's when your placenta embeds itself into your uterus and it can grow through your uterus and start attaching to other organs as well. Um, When somebody has a creta, you can't deliver the placenta safely in the vast majority of cases. So they end up doing hysterectomies in order to get, you know, as a way of kind of, I guess, getting everything out because they can't deliver that placenta. And so it happens with people 
they say people with C-sections um, are more likely, more C-sections you have, the more likely you are. Having one C-section does not make you very likely. Um, so I was kind of an unusual case. Um, and the C-sections make it more likely because you have scar tissue in your uterus. And so your placenta is seeking out blood vessels and has to go around that scar tissue. And that's why it starts to go through the uterus. At least that's the theory. Um, but I found that there are people out there, and it's seeming more common that women who have had DNCs are also coming up with placenta accreta. And, and that's hard, you know, for, for somebody who's had miscarriages, you know, it's possible to, to not ever have a baby and to have a miscarriage in a DNC and then have that scar tissue affect you. So I think I learned a lot in this last pregnancy and you know hindsight's 2020 had I known that how that DNC might have affected me I probably would have made some different choices and I don't regret the choices that I made I think I made the best choices for myself at the time with the knowledge I had um you know but I, I just want other people to know because nobody warned me about that. Nobody warned me that having a DNC could have a dramatic impact on future pregnancies. I feel really fortunate that two kids, I'm happy with two kids and that I was able to have two kids is, you know, can feel like a miracle sometimes, you know, but I, at the same time, I, I didn't want to lose my uterus and I never would have imagined that that's where my path and fertility would have taken me to. Um, you know, having the spinal pregnancy end up that way and the way that I think the miscarriages affected it. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's most of it. Has anyone ever told you you have, like, the most calming voice ever? Oh, thank you. <laughs> you really do. I'm like, oh, I, I could listen to her all day. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't fall asleep, Shelly. <laughs> no, it's great. Like, I love it. Oh, goodness. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. If somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? They could do so. Um they could do so probably on Instagram. I'm a very slow responder and they would see by <laughs> pictures and everything that I'm a very slow poster as well. Um, and my Instagram handle is rhubarbalicious and that's R-H-U-B-A-R-B-A-L-I-C-I-O-U-S. Wow, that's a handle. <laughs> I'll link it. It'll be nice and easy for people to just click okay. on it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I guess you don't think about spelling it out when you choose it, do you? <laughs> do you love rhubarb? Is that why? Yeah, I had a phase where I would I got a ton of rhubarb and yeah, I have made countless rhubarb pies and rhubarb juice and rhubarb granola and yeah. Yeah, I was kind of the rhubarb queen for a while. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Samantha, for doing this. It's going to help so many people. And yeah, you're awesome. Thank you for having me, Shelly. Yes, we'll talk soon. Okay, sounds good. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share your life after miscarriage story, go to ShellyMetling.com. Click on the Life After Miscarriage tab and add yourself right to the recording schedule. And I can't wait to chat with you soon. Next one.